Rio de Janeiro with a big man. Welcome to Frio de Janeiro. My name is Abid Iman. I can't believe I'm saying this, but joining me for a wide-ranging conversation is Adam Gilchrist, one of the greatest cricketers to ever roam this planet and an all-round legend of sport. For a locally made grassroots show, to have someone of Gilly's stature is just an awesome vote in confidence for what the show is all about, and I really, really thank him for supporting this. Gilly's someone who would have discussed his cricket exploits countless times, so I thought it would be fantastic to instead cover some different ground with him. We chatted about his life experiences, wisdom, views on inclusion, cultural diversity. We covered family, business, commentary, and some sport sprinkled in for good measure as well. I really hope you get to learn something new from someone who's just an Aussie icon. A huge thanks to SiteBeat, who are supporting the show. They've got fantastic, easy-to-build websites, and a lot of the show goodies are on abidimam.com, which was built by SiteBeat as well. Without further ado, enjoy the chat with Gilly. Well, Gilly, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you join me on Frio de Janeiro. Thank you for supporting the show. It's locally made here in WA. And you are here in Perth, Western Australia as well. How's life going for you here in, in town? Uh, yes, mate, good to, good to chat finally after I don't know how, how much you'll promote it, but a false start last week where I totally just stuffed up my diary and calendar and got everything mixed up. So apologies, mate. But uh, <laughs> nah, finally uh, to sit down with you is, uh, is awesome. So, yeah, yeah, going really well, thanks. I've I'm recovering from a little bit of shoulder surgery, that uh, a bit of wear and tear from my former life, but um, no, that's all all good and can't complain about a thing really. We're we're uh, cruising along, sort of families all well and healthy, and uh, as we know, everyone here in Perth, um, as this whole uh, extraordinary twelve last twelve to fourteen months continues, we're very 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 fortunate to be where we are. So um, yeah, life reasonably normal and um and, and going well thanks something that really fascinated me about you gilly i've watched a lot of cricket and enjoyed your exploits over decades was some of the passions that you have and the causes close to your heart and i just wanted to zoom in on the inclusion in cricket and the autism program that you were involved with what was the genesis to that yeah uh it's oh, a wonderful program of which as we know, there's there's more and more uh, inclusion, more and more inclusive programs across a whole variety of not just sports but areas of life, isn't there? And, and that's a, a good thing. The awareness of the need for these type of um, activities that that often uh, for um, groups in society that can easily be brushed over or looked 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 over the top of and not understand the the, the challenges that they may face to try to the best of their capabilities, um, you know, live the life and lifestyle that we often can easily take for granted. So um, cricket is one area that um, is, is, is focused on that area. And I guess more specifically, the Wembley Districts uh, Junior Cricket Club is a club that I've been associated with since uh, our eldest boy, who's now 19, you know, his first steps into cricket at about under fives or under six. So I've been 
Uh, and now with all our kids going through that club, being associated in one way, shape or form um, for, for quite a number of years. Uh, was on the committee for a while, but but there's a uh, one of those sort of magical volunteer um, workers that is now president of the club, um, Maggie Oldfield, who, Margie Oldfield, that, that um, got in touch with me because she herself started to, to incorporate her visions of what inclusion should be uh, into the cricket club and set up a wonderful program for young girls that, that um, you know, may not otherwise want to play cricket, may have other areas in their life that are a bit more challenging and trying to basically bring them into the, the, the concept of a club and, and where, you know, obviously in a club you can, you might don't have to, um, you're not obliged to, but there's an opportunity to share your story, share your issues, share your, your, your problems that you face and maybe there's a way that um, whether indirectly or directly you can find a way through those um, troubled waters with support and advice that you may not think is there elsewhere. So that's her philosophy. And then in partnership with uh, Autism WA, uh, they decided to, to get this program up and running and uh, asked me if I would be keen to be the ambassador. And so that, that was pretty much it. And it really struck a chord with me because uh, my mother was an English history teacher but then moved into special ed and working with um, you know, severely handicapped and, um, and a lot of autistic kids. And uh, I guess having been through that journey to an extent and learning a lot from her and experiencing what um, you know, she did day in, day out and being fascinated by the, these miracle workers that do commit their life to that sort of area and, and the betterment for others, uh, of others, um, yeah, it's a bit of a no-brainer to jump on. You touched on family, uh, the kids playing cricket and also your mum there. What's yeah. it like now being a sport parent? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a question that um, a lot you know, people sort of ask. I suppose a lot of people ask with a preconceived idea in their mind um, of how you'll be. Uh, some people, I can see them, that they're thinking that it'll be really intense and, you know, really encouraging the kids to the point of almost being pushing them to really go hard at it or be ultra competitive or and and I guess there's others too that may think it's the other way where you you might try to veer away from that area that you had so much of your life involved in and 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 don't lead the kids to that way but I think myself and Mel my wife are just tried to be um as you know typical a parent or parents is what you see anywhere in society of kids entering sport at beginner age and be it cricket or footy or whatever the sport, hockey, athletics. Um, the kids have had a crack at most of it, which is great. Uh, clearly, like most parents, we love our kids being active and and uh, out there in the, you know, the um, climatically we're blessed with um, pretty encouraging sort of um, situations to, to get outside and be active. So I don't think I'm any different to, to the majority of, of parents there in that I just want to see the kids love team sports, um, love that concept of, of sharing an experience, both good and bad, with teammates. Uh, so, yeah, like most parents, just want to see the kids active, engaged, having fun and, and learning all the various um, parts of, you know, 
about life that sport can help you learn. Um, you know, there's so many microcosms of life in amongst the various different sports that we play and the challenges that you're confronted with. So that's that's pretty much it, mate. I, I don't think I've been anything exceptional by way of, you know, I'm not a better sports parent, played top-level cricket. I, I learn a lot from other parents, the way I observe them interacting in as coaches or or as sideline parents. And um, I, I guess, and again, I, I don't think, you know, the majority of sports parents out there enjoy at all seeing that sort of ugly parent, aggressive parent on the sideline. And it's just trying to, trying to, you know, carry out and make it as safe, a fun environment for everyone that's there. Well, I love the fact that you said you were part of the committee at the cricket club. So that's one of the the tough step sports administrators uh, try to, you know, recruit volunteers yeah. and, and take that step to help out at committee level. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Gilly, were you one to sports sample when you were much younger? Did you try out many different sports or was it relatively early that you specialised in cricket? Yeah, grew up uh, in regional New South Wales. So, and we had every possible, you know, sport. Well, no, we didn't have every possible sport that you can think of on offer, but we had our sports facilities were unbelievable. You know, out in country towns, small country towns, you had ovals that went for miles, and you know, footy goalposts up, and cricket pitches everywhere, and tennis courts everywhere, netball, soccer. So all the, I guess, and this is back in the sort of seventies and early eighties. We're talking here, so a while ago, it's probably didn't have the exposure to all the many different sports that are available for kids to play now. But um, I think. Uh, yeah, I tried to give most of it a go. The the staple sort of – it was pretty stereotypical, though, when it came to the staple ones. It was sort of cricket in summer, cricket and tennis in summer, and, and then soccer and footy in winter. Um, so that was – but, you know, whether it was in the schoolyard or in unorganised sport, which I think I think that is an area where – you know, those lessons yeah. that I mentioned earlier, that's, I think almost that's where you can learn as many lessons, certainly learn skill-wise and develop your skills in as much uh, as much in unorganised sport. And what I mean by that is going up to the school or to the park or to the basketball courts with your mates or just with a group or mm. by yourself and not playing in a structured sports system. I think you do get a hell of a lot out of that, that natural play component uh, that helps you helps um, lay the foundation as you as you move through your sporting life and then your life away from sport too. Growing up in regional New South Wales and being able to travel extensively throughout the world, yeah. and now it's a, a unique time in human history where we can't really step on a plane and, and cross yeah. borders right now as much. But how do you reflect on how you you were able to view different parts of the world and share dressing rooms with? players of different cultures and how that shaped your worldview. Yeah, uh, that aspect of it is that, that you mentioned, that that sort of cultural experience, uh, both uh, experiencing the different nations we went to and the different, different oppositions and the different environments that we're in with, you know, my more regular teammates, that coupled with the towards the end of my career where the Indian Premier League started up and I played in the first six seasons of that um, that experience and and, and really um, being you know uh, immersed in 
the different cultures of, of new teammates who are all from different countries around the world, they are the most fond memories and most vivid memories, I think, of as you, you know, get older and reflect a little bit on your, your playing days, it's it's very nice and easy to reflect on results and games and specific innings and, and that's probably what's most often mentioned to to you as an ex-professional sportsman. What about that game or that win or whatever? But it's all that sort of that those games, um, you know, and, and the statistical history is 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 like your your skeleton of your career. And then this discussion around cultural experience and, and, and you know, the, the characters you meet and the opposition and, and the life journey you went on, that's the flesh around the skeleton and that's the real body of your career. So, they're, yeah, remarkable. And as I say, that, that IPL experience, I, I think is in the second year of the IPL, I was asked to captain and we we focused a lot after a failed first year where we came last we focused more leading into the second season about that cultural appreciation and we did a day of where we had a facilitator come in and, you know, we had six different nationalities in our team and even within the Indian contingent we had, you know, experienced cricketers who were from the north of India who'd never met and didn't speak exactly the same tongue as the, those in the south. Um, all those um, variations were there and we, we really tried to, facilitate an environment where we could all get to know each other a lot better, appreciate each other's cultural differences with a lot more detail and a lot greater respect and allow us to forge our own team culture and team identity. And we went on and won the tournament and that was as fulfilling as anything that I achieved in my career. I know as captain of that, to help help be part of the leadership group that, that brought that to fruition was so fulfilling and, um, you know, again, ref- reflect on that with really, really strong, fond memories. India is, well, a country synonymous with cricket and just yeah. how religiously they follow it. What was it like for your first couple of occasions in India compared to towards the end of your career where you are the captain of Deccan Chargers and yep. in, in that incredible environment? How did your relationship with India evolve through your career? Uh in a huge manner, I can clearly remember my first trip to India it was 1996. Rushed over as a you know Ian Healy was injured, so I was yeah you know, it was the dream phone call that finally came. Quick, pack your bags, go to the airport. You're flying over to play for Australia. So, it, whilst that was very hectic, and you know landed in Delhi at midnight and got the team bus to the hotel, but just everything about that trip was a real shock, which is a term that you hear a lot for people's first experience into India and, and, and you know, and a variety of a number of, I guess, um, you know, those uh, Asian countries that you haven't been exposed to before. But certainly India was a big culture shock. Uh, the, the sights and the sounds and the aromas are, are nothing that like what, you know, I'd sort of grown up in in regional New South Wales and, um, the impact of the, the, the really um, overt things that you see, like the poverty and, and all the, the um, different levels of, of society and or the fact that there was 
seemed like two levels of either mega rich or extremely poor. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a salt on 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 everything about it. And I think too a bit that coupled with a really um, naive, immature at that point attitude from from cricket and Australian cricket going there uh, and the perception of what India is like and. You know, you, you sort of grew up hearing about how bad it is and how poor it is and, you know, it's you're going to get sick and it's um, it's just a bad place to play cricket. So you sort of go there a bit with this learned perspective that really you've got no idea about but it's just ingrained in a little bit, not forced, but just the discussion that you pick up on and get there and all of a sudden it's such such an extreme shock that and then we didn't win a game on the whole trip. Um I remember coming away thinking that was oh, that was hard. I didn't really like that. It's really you know it's a, it's not a great place to tour. But it was only when I got back and started to relay my experiences to family and friends, I just found myself almost drifting back there to the scenarios I was describing and thinking, God, that was that was actually so unique. That was cool. That was. I wouldn't mind going again to check out more of that where I brushed it off before I should have looked at, you know, there's a, a fair bit of I should have done that more. I should have been, had my eyes open a bit more and not just fallen into the, the party line that this is a crap joint and let's play and get out of here sort of philosophy. So fortunately I've, I've pretty much been back pretty much every year since, save for 2020. Um, which we all understand why that probably has been a bit restricted. So it just grew. My love and passion for India just grew and grew and grew. And, um, you know, it is the land that can make you feel, you know, like a king and feel like uh, someone right down at the bottom of the food chain all in one day. And that's just in the on the cricket field <laughs> where your results can go from being so so successful to being decimated by India when they fight back um, and off the field it's just a, it's just I've never felt anything but love and support and welcome a big welcome to be there and then post cricket even more so by going over there in various roles and taking on various activities it's so my experience of culturally learning and um, developing and improving myself uh, as a person, I think, and uh, it developed a great deal over the years and it's one, it's a trip that's just been, you know, magical, that whole journey and cannot wait to get back there. Yeah, my dad's from Pakistan, so uh, yeah. it's it's a, an area of fascination. I've only been once when I was four to Pakistan, but very similar yeah. and uh, in- incredible cricket rivalry as well, Adam. Oh, we, absolutely, and that, that's where, I, I mean, we all know how unfortunate this the global travel opportunities are at the moment and, and hopefully it doesn't last too long. Um, but that's, yeah, our frustration with Pakistan too, obviously with the, the fact from a cricketing point of view and I guess, uh, you know, a, a general safety perception point of view around the world that travel has been limited there for so many for so long. And, um, you know, I was there in 98 and it was, it was again, the, the, affection and love offered to you and welcome um the welcome for, for touring career teams back then was unbelievable and you could tell it would be a similar journey but uh to that that i experienced in india but uh yeah nice to see it being 
well, revive to as much as it can more recently with touring teams going there and, and let's see coming out of the pandemic. Which part of Pakistan was from? He's from Karachi. So oh, I was yeah. only only four when I went over there, but yeah. it was such a powerful experience that, yeah. believe it or not, I still remember bits of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was yeah. a culture shock to say the least, but family yeah. have been inviting me over and I say, uh, I tow the party line and say when the Australian cricket team can make it over, that's when I will. So Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. That's it, Gilly. Um, you've travelled extensively, but is there a place that you've wanted to visit? We we love to celebrate culture and travel in this show. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Good. I mean, there's there's so many places that um, there's a lot of Europe, a lot of um, that that I you know haven't ventured to. There's you know Alaska up around that right up northern North America and up into that region. It'd be be quite fascinating. And and I've done I've been on the South American mainland in the form of flying into Guyana, part of the West Indies, the Caribbean, but that's actually not an island. It's on the mainland of, of South America, but anywhere down through as South American countries would be would be fascinating, listening to stories of people, tip, probably more so people who have gone over there in that sort of backpackery type role and gone there with not much and, and just done enough to survive and gain these invaluable experiences. Um, I might have passed the backpacker age just for for a few years anyway, but uh, but we'll see. But yeah, there's plenty plenty of places on offer that would be um, would be fascinating to visit. As soon as you said that, I only recently listened to your episode with Mark Howard, the Howard oh, yeah. Games, and you yeah, did well, a fantastic job. That was yeah. a great one. Uh, he's a he's a storyteller with plenty of stories to tell, and and that's yeah exactly who I was thinking of in regards mainly is that. His description of it and and the opportunities that if you're prepared to take a bit of a risk and have a go, and again that might might be challenged now in this day and age compared to 20 years ago, but still, um, you know, that's the fascination of travel, isn't it? Going and not being sure what you're going to turn up to get. Um, do the pictures look the same as what they did, <laughs> or does the reality look like <laughs> the same in the pictures that I saw and booked? But yeah, that's part of the buzz of it. This might be a really good jumping off point to talk about your transition into commentary and Gilly you're just fantastic to um, because commentators have such an important integral role in guiding us through the game becoming a voice of summer as you would know what made you choose to um, enter that field rather than being an administrator a coach the myriad of other things you could do in cricket yeah it's not not the journey that I through my playing days I even considered or, or coveted um, to the point where I don't remember ever saying I'm never doing that, but I certainly didn't sit and go, oh, yeah, that's. I think I'll try to head that way when I finish. And I was afforded, as soon as I retired from the Australian team, I was afforded the opportunity by Channel 9 to to go and join that, that commentary team, which was a pretty sort of intimidating list of names there back in, in that day, along with obviously um, Richie Benno and Tony Gregg and Ian Chappell, Bill Laurie and the like. Um, so I, I I did say, look, can I just do a, maybe a little bit just to see whether whether I like it, whether I'm any good, whether you think I'm any good and need want me to, to sign on. But So I did a, one test match and a couple of one-dayers and I didn't come away 
thinking that it was for me to be brutally honest and, and that wasn't a reflection on those guys or the team or the, the, the network or anything like that it was more just a whole lot of things you know didn't feel like I had much to offer and um, probably a bit soon after playing you know that I was talking about you know my mates and um, yeah so I, I sort of said thanks but no thanks for, at that point in time five years later and, and, and fortunately I had plenty of things to get my teeth into post-cricket. Uh, I had a number of relationships that sort of started out as sponsorships when I was playing but always tried to dig a bit deeper into any relationship or partnership that I had in that regard in a commercial sense to try to maybe learn a bit more about the company or the people in the company and and give them a bit more. So that allowed uh, those relationships to continue post my playing days. So I wasn't sort of desperately searching where life was going to take me or what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. But five years later when Channel 10 picked up the Big Bash and they needed to build a commentary team and a gentleman by the name of David Barham was the head of sport at Channel 10 and, and he basically called and, and asked if I wanted to be a part of it. And I sort of ummed and ahed and remembered my experience from five years before thinking, no, I don't think I'm, I'm it, but... But I said, who else are you going to get? And he said, Ricky Ponting, Damien Fleming and Mark Waugh. And I said, well, I reckon I might be in because they're <laughs> three blokes that I'm really close mates with and I'll give it a go. If we're doing it with good people and, you know, uh, so we, we jumped in there and, and gave it a go and it was just, just I just loved it. It just was so much fun. It was a different, you know, I don't expect everyone that, that listens to this show, your, your podcast or watches, but um, to be cricket experts or aficionados but it was a bit of a different different take on commentary compared to that traditional model and we just wanted to have fun and I try to project our enthusiasm for the game and um and our friendship and try to make it a warm environment where people could learn a bit have fun and be entertained and more so just have the capability to watch the game appreciate the skills of the stars that were out there and have their own judgment on it not be told how you should watch it or think of it. I feel like your style is very much like the way you batted, really upbeat and positive. So I don't know if you've heard that feedback before, but, uh, yeah, that's just my take on it. Yeah, uh, right. I hadn't, I hadn't reflected on it in that regard, actually. It's, it's if nice. we can rewind a little bit back, but when you were a cricketer and you're watching the game, were you watching it with the commentary on? Uh, so it was the question when I was playing professional cricket, would we yes. have the commentary up? Yeah. Oh, that, that was a – it would be on and off at different times in a change rooms. Generally, no. As a, as a general statement, I reckon it was off or turned down more often than not. Some some guys did like to sit and listen to every word and probably <laughs> sat there and write things down and I'll remember that or – um, and others didn't want to know anything about it. But whatever the mood of the, the change rooms, the viewing room was, or um, if guys went to other parts of the change rooms and, and wanted to turn it on, they could. But, yeah, as a, as a general statement, I, I didn't think there was much need, much to be gained out of listening when you were playing. But, of course, you're very familiar with all the cricket commentators from the amount of cricket that we watch, either of other games or just growing up. Because it was still, you know, it was still very much the core group of commentators commentating when we were playing, went through my era, that when we were growing up. So they were, you know, they were there for the long haul. And so we were familiar with them all. And do you have a preference of 
commentating the the shorter forms of the game, or do you prefer that that longer format Test cricket? Uh, I think, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting one to consider. I, I, I'd have to say, because of my love of Test cricket and that really sort of that pure long version origins of the game and that was what I loved playing the most I'd say that might you know if I had to pick between choosing like one last game to commentate as a test or a t20 game I'd, I'd say test cricket all the time you know very closely behind is is the white ball cricket particularly t20 because that's where I did fall in love with the broadcast side of it and learnt so much um, it was through that t20 avenue and at the end of the day, any any game that's entertaining and possibly close, and you don't know the result, mm. it's a, or the result's difficult to predict or or um, you know see coming. I think it doesn't matter what the format is; that's going to make it a better game to commentate on, and clearly a better game to spectate. Gilly, you mentioned something a few um, responses ago about commercial opportunities and how mm-hmm. you used to go that extra mile for your partners and. Try to immerse yourself a little bit. Yep. Where did that come from? I was pretty, um, oh, I don't know whether it was big-headed or <laughs> um, stupid or naive or arrogant, but right from you know the age of 12 is where I wrote to my first, to the first company asking for a sponsorship. Uh, Who was it? Yeah, I wrote to bat companies, all the, all the, you know, all the big bat brands, Stray yeah. Nichols, Slazinger, and all that. Um, you know, wrote saying my top scores this, and I made the far north ghost under fourteens, <laughs> and uh, feel like sponsoring me, <laughs> and in return I'll promote your gear. That's what I said. Whether I was going to say commercially interested or savvy or entrepreneurial, um, but. But that wasn't so much in an entrepreneur, I want to make money out of this. It was more just trying to be like what my heroes were and the guys on TV all were sponsored and, you know, everyone would love to have a new bat or the best gear around or whatever and, and we weren't, um, you know, we were financially, you know, um, okay with, without being necessarily um, over the top that we could go and buy everything we needed. We never went without but we certainly didn't, weren't in the bracket of, you know, mum and dad topped us up with brand new stuff every time. We had, I was the youngest of four kids and pretty pretty humble, happy, you know, um, livelihood and, and childhood. But, uh, yeah, so that's where that sort of started, um, writing letters like that. But I amazingly had my first sponsorship when I was about 14. Um, so whether the marketing sponsorship manager for the Albion um, – Felt sorry for me or thought it was a cute letter, but sent me a bit of gear and and I'll never forget that. That, that was okay. And it's now my job to do all I can to try and promote their gear and 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 wear it with pride and wear it and, and represent the brand well. Um, and I, I guess that's where it stemmed from. So then as life progressed and I you know, started to get um, opportunities for those sort of commercial partnerships off the field, very much so. I think that foundation of appreciation and um, understanding that it's 
it's very much two-way street. A, a sponsorship wasn't just the, the sponsored player getting everything and just, you know, it's it's the brand or the company's um, pleasure to have that association. Quite the opposite. It's like, hang on a minute, we're going to give give back the contractual obligation if it's an appearance or a, or a TV commercial, but try to give them more than they could have even hoped for because uh, that's how good, strong relationships are about what you can do for the other side, side of it rather than what you can get out of it. And it gives me a better chance to um, forge a relationship with them as people but also know and understand the, the brand or the company, the journey, the history, and better represent it. I'm really interested in you must have received so many requests for partnerships and opportunities. How was your selection process? Because it's your your brand, your name, your reputation as well on the line. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, yeah, I have been very, very fortunate to have uh, a variety of activity in, in that sort of space and, and, and continue to. And, um, and that is the ultimate sort of question, I guess. There's some things that just jump out at you that you go, well, that's, that's a no-brainer. That that's exactly that seems to fit and feel perfect. Um, if you need to, I've probably found, and I've had been very fortunate to have terrific advice and advisors around me, ranging originally from you know, mum and dad uh, as you're younger, and up until the point where you sort of leave home. And yeah, of course, they're always a, a port of call, aren't they, for for any of that sort of stuff? But but I have I've had a a mentor stroke manager stroke godfather to our daughter stroke best mate um through the whole journey you know a guy that's oh, 15 or so years older than me but we've just become as close to friends as as you could ever hope we've never had a written agreement in in the management um athlete manager athlete situation we've never really had a blow up or a fight um not saying we we don't necessarily disagree on things here and there, but it's not to the point where it's ever been heated. Uh, so he's, Stephen's been a, a wonderful mentor and advisor for me as part of that journey. If ever we've found we've had to really sit and, and really examine the, the should we or shouldn't we, by that stage you're probably telling yourself probably shouldn't, um, regardless of whether the financial component or the, the brand or what is it or what's the profile like or how it's going to be used. Yeah, if you're really needing to delve into the the reasoning for doing it, it's probably a good indication that you shouldn't be doing it. And it's probably better for the whoever that other party is that they know that rather than getting you on and then it becoming a, a chore or a you know, you know, a real labor. Mm. Uh, so but yeah, and, and of course, profile wise in this day and age with social media and, and so on like that, everyone's exposed to being um, someone delivering a, a, a harsh critique on their, you know, what they're involved with, um, be it the brand or the cause or the, um, you know, and, and, and the offshoots from that. And it's a, it is a challenging space because you can get associated with things uh, unjustly. Uh, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if, you, if you're pretty true to your core value and if, if a, a possible partnership fits within that uh, and, and you can put your hand on your heart and say, yeah, that, that's not going to give me any grief. You're not going to please everyone. Someone will have an opinion, but if you you stay true to that value, you, I think you're pretty right. And how have you found navigating boardrooms? 
and those opportunities as ambassador. Yeah, um, I, I like the idea. Uh, well, I think ambassador or boardrooms. I, I did sit on a couple of boards when I first finished. While I was still playing, I was given an opportunity to sit on a board of foreign exchange company, um, and that was amazing experience, like really, really valuable experience. But was it? Did it lead me to want to go into either, um, you know, uh, foreign exchange currency businesses? No, because I wasn't an expert in that, but they weren't looking for expertise. But um, but it also did it make me feel like I wanted to pursue this portfolio of board seats and board tables. Um, and it probably that and a couple of experiences after that probably made me realise that it, it's not an area where I, I want to be. I, I probably feel more inclined to be at that sort of an ambassador or a, or even a sort of ambassador stroke investor into a business and then deal more with the people and be it internally or externally being customers rather than necessarily sitting at the level of of governance and and direction and and that sort of leadership it's probably more more that sort of humanity side engagement with people that that I've realized after some some experiences um, depending on what the organization was but um, but yeah um, I mean I sat on as chair of the board for the National Straight A Council for six years and it was just one of the great experiences so fulfilling the people you meet the stories you learn about and the journey that that the nation's been on and what the narrative is at the time uh, that changes so much all of various national discussions and levels of importance some of them don't go away and and probably won't for a long time but others come and go so really interesting stuff that was that that was as i say in that more cultural civic space as opposed to a, a business structure at the time of recording this you will soon be on the airwaves with tim gossage uh, tell yeah. us about that project it seems really exciting and i uh, can't wait to tune in so how did that yeah. uh, how did that come about gilly yeah, that's uh, well. It, it came about because um, the radio network SEN, which has been you know established in Melbourne for over a couple of decades, um, sports and entertainment network. Uh, that's basically over the last few years has tried to expand to have a more global footprint and cover off on the various um, markets around Australia. And markets, I mean, the, the varying different sporting codes in those markets to make sure that the, the, the listeners uh, that, that follow sport can, if they sort of, in the digital world, they got the opportunity, say, from um, Sydney or Brisbane to tune into the, the SEN coverage in, in Melbourne, a lot of it might be too much AFL uh, for them. So it, they've branched out and set up a, a footprint across all the various states, capital cities, and Perth is there their sort of final um, frontier to, to establish a, a base here and, and, and set up the station here. So I was very, um, you know, um, humbled to be asked to be at part of that sort of launch here in the WA market. Radio is an area that I've really been keen to, to, to play around in and have a go at for, for a number of years just from the little bit of experience that I've had in either filling in for a show or even just going in and doing interviews and sitting and you know speaking across a table with the microphone and, and 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 not being not paranoid but not being too conscious about it 
I know there's cameras in most radio studios now in this day and age, but but you're not on TV thinking about the camera. It's more just probably a bit of a lighter, free-flowing um, medium to be able to get into. Yeah. So I've been really keen to give it a try, but the right opportunity hasn't presented itself. There's been some where we sort of nearly manufactured it, but a bit like what you asked about the brand association, sort of at the end of the day, I wouldn't go through with it because it just wasn't quite right. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was going to be too forced or it was going to be too, too packed in another already busy schedule and I wouldn't be able to give it the time and, and concentration that I feel it warrants. So, so this opportunity has come up where, where just a couple of days a week at the start, Fridays and Mondays, uh, Timmy Gossage, I've known for 25 years. He's been a great friend and, and provided me with invaluable experience around TV. 25 years ago when I, I was playing for WA but um, was the Channel 10 sort of um, rookie and doing a few stories and learning about editing and, and interviewing and so on. So Goss has been a wonderful uh, uh, sort of, I guess, pseudo-mentor for years and, and, a, and a good friend and so experienced. So that's going to be great fun with him and uh, hopefully a chance just to get in there and, and cover off on a whole host of sports and, and, and be entertaining and and interesting and engage with the audience. We can't wait for that. Gilly, really mindful of your time. So just before I leave you, I wanted to probably look at one of the quotes that you mentioned in an interview with Usman Khawaja and also yep. possibly the one with Howie as well. A quote that's, uh, attitudes are contagious. Is yours worth catching? Yeah. What does that mean to you? Uh, I think that's the single most valuable lesson I took out of my cricketing journey. Uh, you know, there's a lot of wonderful leadership that that I was privy to and, and played under and guided by, and and a lot of uh, you know, be it organised or n- organic mentorship that you just some some uh, figureheads and and teammates and managers and and coaches, administrators that you be in and around, and you learn a lot from. But but I think that's the single one most important that I think you can transfer that into everyday life uh, no matter what or who you are and and what you do and that was one that Steve War introduced our team to and and that I held on to most dearly when we were in India funnily enough in 2001 and you know that Australian attitude that I mentioned early had had been the handbrake to us not being successful there for up to 30 one years at that point and and 34 years eventually when we finally achieved the victory in India, that group of players, but but it was clearly around attitude. But Steve, um, yeah, I think it speaks for itself. It, it, it's you know every day you get up, you can ask yourself how you think, or sorry, ask how you feel is how you think. I'm getting that all mixed up. How you think is how you'll feel, and that's how you'll act. So if you get up and you you think I'm going to be negative or grumpy, that's how you're going to feel, and that's how you'll act. And um, so it's a question you can ask yourself every day. What's your attitude going to be? Is it going to be positive? Great, you're, you're off and running. And, and if you're in an environment, be it a family environment or a team environment, sporting or a business working network environment, it's contagious. It, it, you've got the chance to set the tone. Uh, and, yeah, that's, that's why it's stuck with me. It's very, very appropriate for a cricketing analogy but i found that can so easily transfer across into into life in general and it's 
it's one that I, my kids sick of me saying it, and it's one I need to remind myself of because, you know, there's days like all of us where I am a bit flat or a bit negative and I, I'm, I'm focusing the wrong way about it and I often just stop and think, hang on a minute, no, 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 don't just remember that quote and try to change it. Gilly, thank you so much for supporting the show and coming on. And thank you as well for just being you and such a positive role model growing up, that positivity and the way you, you went about things was uh, inspiring. All the best with everything and uh, a huge thank you as well. Uh, a pleasure, mate. Really nice to talk to you and I love, the, I love your uh, cross-section of, of topics. It's, it makes a great, great discussion and hopefully the listeners find it interesting to listen to, but you know, that, that sort of cultural diversity and, and inclusion, so important in society and, you know, some sport and life experience. It's been really enjoyable, mate. Great to catch up. So there we have it. The great man, Adam Gilchrist. Please visit abidimam.com to get the show goodies. Thanks to you for listening, Sightbeat for their support, and a big shout-out to Adelaide and Nick Lolev, supporters of the show, who recently got married in the southwest of Western Australia. Until next time, keep smiling, keep scoring.